Hebrews 4.12. The kids are going to be talking about the fact that God's Word is living and active. Listen to this. It's such a great lead-in to where we're going this morning. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And catch this part. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Whoo! You feel the weight of that? We're about to talk about your marriage. We're about to talk about your family, your parenting. And that's what I just read. <laughs> that we stand naked and we're going to give an account. Uh, the Word of God is like a mirror, is it not? And, and as I've been putting this together and praying over this, it's been very exposing for my own self. The preacher is not exempt from the lessons of Scripture. And as we, as we come to this topic, here's my great prayer for you. My great prayer for you is that you wouldn't keep walls up, but that you would say, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to enter into this. I'm ready to talk about marriage. I'm ready to talk about my family. And the Word of God being a mirror, uh, we have an option when we see ourselves in a mirror, right? Uh, how many of you live in denial? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. But how many of you live in denial to what's happening to your body as you age, right? And, and what happens, you, you stop looking in mirrors. You're like, there's a mirror, don't look at it, right? And you see, you know, young people are, love to look at themselves in the mirror. Older people are like, not so much. We'll just walk by the mirrors, right? But when we see something in a mirror, we have an option to go away and, and ignore it. We have an option to, to live in denial. We have an option to adjust to reality and what's there. And, and I hope that the teaching these next four weeks, I hope it contradicts you. I hope it brings into sharp contrast maybe some of the ways you've been doing family and doing marriage and, and, and doing fam, uh, uh, parenting that, that contradicts you. Because that's a great sign that you're open to hearing from God on things and that you haven't set up yourself as God, right? I hope it also encourages you. It says, man, I do that. God, you, you brought that into our home, and we're reaping the, the, the benefits of that. Um, so, listen, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. It's right near the end of your Bible, and uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to just cover a short little passage as we, as we get into this. By show of hands, how many of you uh, have ever heard yourself on audio or seen yourself on video. Raise your hands if you have done that, okay? Now on the count of three, I want you, I want us all to collectively give the audible response to that when we have to hear ourselves or see ourselves on video, okay? One, two, three. Ugh. Yeah, I mean it's pretty common, right? It's pretty common. Now here's the, here's the kicker. Other people get to see that and hear that every single day. Right? I mean, we, we find it painful to hear ourselves. So my buddy Mark Bucko preached a couple of weeks ago. And Mark, if you're sitting at a taqueria, he has that same great speaker's voice. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? It's like it's deep and it's booming. And I'm like, you have a killer voice. I was listening to him on the podcast from a couple of weeks ago. He just has a great voice. I don't know that Mark hears himself and goes, ugh, because uh, I think he has a great you know, kind of speaker voice. But I think for most of us, we see ourselves on video, we hear ourselves, we're like, ugh. Now, what if, what if we could audio record or videotape 
your parenting from this last month? What if that was a real? It wasn't family videos like you get to edit and put up the best spots like we do on Facebook or something, right? What if it was just straight running all the way through? We got to hear everything that went on for you as a parent, you as a son or a daughter, you as a spouse. How would that go? Ugh, right? I mean, the sound would be even louder, right? Ugh, woe is me, right? Please know, what can I do to not let that tape play? Think about rookie moves. Some of you have been married for a while and and you get a kick out of seeing younger couples in in some public setting because you can go back in your mind and remember, I remember being young and foolish once and I remember making that mistake that this guy currently is making right in front of me in the line at whatever, right? Communication is one of the big learning curves for most every couple uh, as, as, as they get together. There's actually new data coming out all the time that is really, really helpful to couples. And if you're sharp and you pay attention, uh, you, can, you can glean and learn from other people's mistakes. How about rookie, uh, rookie moves for parents? Uh, some of you have been parents for, for a lot longer than other people in our church. And, and, when you, and you kind of get a kick out of seeing things. Uh, maybe you've seen this going around, but, uh, you know, for the, the idea of the, the, the first kid with the pacifier, right? If the pacifier drops and it's kid number one and it's the only one, mom and dad, what do they do? They kick into high gear. The mask drops down. There's sanitation going on. There's a whole thing. Rubber gloves, check, clear. We did the drops. We tested. There's no germs back in the kid's mouth, right? Child number two comes along, and what do mom and dad do? They've got, they've got a sassy toddler, perhaps, or someone else they're working on, so it falls. They pick it up. They suck it off and they plop it back in the kid's mouth, right? Have you seen that? That's child, that's child number two. Um, child number three, the parent does no such cleaning or sanitizing. They immediately shove it back in, figuring it will help their immune system, right? <laughs> now, the ones I've seen on the internet stop there, so I'm going to keep going. Uh, the fourth child, the child themselves goes and gets said pacifier and puts it back in their mouth because no one's going to do it for them. Right? There's three others that are busy, and mom and dad are trying to, trying to watch that. The fifth child has an older sibling who is now dipping the pacifier in something even more gross and putting it back in the child for them. And if you get around to a child, they don't get a pacifier. There's, they forgot that completely. They don't even know that those exist. I want you to participate in this, and this may be a little bit vulnerable, but I, I don't think too much. Raise your hand if you have some area in your family today that you can work on. Raise your hand, okay? Now leave it up for one second. Okay, go ahead and, go ahead and put that down. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because I, I really want this to be between you and the Lord, and, and I think this is part of the breakthrough, part of what God needs to push through this morning. Don't raise your hand, but here's part two of the question. Do you believe that your family can improve in that area? So I didn't do a scientific research, but I think almost everyone was honest enough to say, yeah, there's, there's at least an area in my marriage, in my home, in my family that needs attention. And part two of that is not just to say, yes, there's an area that needs improvement, but part two is, do you have the faith that God can grow you up in that area. And notice that I'm talking about you. Some of you sit in church week after week without your spouse. I want you to know, I pray for you often about that. I know your names. I see you. Um, and 
I'm, I'm talking to you this morning, whether you're sitting here with your spouse, with your parents, with your, with your kids or not. I'm talking about you, not about them. Uh, this whole series, I think, will go a whole lot better if we take God's word and we stand before the mirror ourselves instead of envisioning who really needs to change. I wish they were in front of the word. They're, 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 they may not be here. God's going to give... God's going to hold you to account to walk and live as, as God would, would have us live. Here's, here's what I believe. I, I believe that God is not done with your family. And therefore, I believe you shouldn't give up or be done with your family. I believe God wants to extend to you, offer you today, real, tangible hope for your family. And it's there for the taking what is at stake, and how can you tell what is at stake? Uh, some of you went to our all-church camp out last year. We did a little bit of a different thing. We were, we were down near the pinnacles at this, at this great ranch and had a great time. And down there at the ranch was this thing called a slack line. You guys remember seeing that? It's right near the volleyball court, and a couple of, couple of the kids got up and got, uh, gave it a try, and we're, we're kind of walking on the slack line. How much is at stake on this current slack line that, that, that you see on the screen? Not much, right? This is about how high the slack line was uh, at the camp. Um, you could get up, and, and maybe your pride's at stake if you fall. You, you may twist an ankle or something like that, uh, but the stakes are, are fairly low. This is not a slack line. This is called a high wire, and this is a live shot of a guy from a GoPro who I think sometime last year, uh, you may remember it, he walked across the Grand Canyon on live national television. And in case you're having a difficult time with the perspective, that red circle is him. He is, he is walking across the Grand Canyon. How high are the stakes? Pretty dang high, right? Not for us at home watching on TV, right? We're just eating popcorn going, I hope that guy makes it. But for the guy on the high wire, pretty high. When stakes are low, uh, isn't it true that, that sloppiness and, and forgetfulness and planning and follow-through are all kind of take it or leave it, right? If you're on a slack line and someone offers you a slurpee and you're like, yeah, I'll take that, and you kind of fall off, no big deal. But if you get distracted when you're over the Grand Canyon, huge deal. So as, as the stakes go up, your interest level goes up. Your heart rate goes up, right? Here's my question as we kind of begin this series. What is at stake for your parenting? What is at stake for your spousing, for being a spouse, for being married? What is at stake for you as a son, as a daughter, as a brother, as an uncle, aunt, as a grandparent? I'm re-listening to um, some of the audio from Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University right now. Excellent program, highly recommended. We've led the classes here. And it's interesting listening to Dave because he's at a conference that people have paid money to to get out of debt, right? So these are highly motivated learners, right? And he gets them really riled up. He's a great communicator. And he gets them really riled up about their money. And some of you have been through this. Remember gazelle-like intensity? Remember that? What's he talking about? He's saying, get out of debt. Man, the, the, the debtor is a slave to the lender. So get out of debt. That's one of his giant messages in this thing. And he's talking about gazelle-like intensity. Put the TV remote down. Put the phone down. Do whatever it takes right now to pay attention to your life and get out of debt. And you hear people just going, woo, and they're super fired up and they're cheering. 
And as I'm listening to this, and I'm kind of juxtaposing that over thinking about our families, here's what I thought. Here's my thought. I thought, gosh, there are people out there in America today that are all fired up about their finances. They're seeing very clearly, some for the very first time, how destructive debt is, how foolish they're being with a resource called money. And they're, in, they're intensely focused on getting out of debt, and they're not doing a single thing about their marriage. They're not doing a single thing to improve their parenting, to change the way they do family in accordance with how God would do it. Isn't it foolish to have gazelle-like intensity about money that's here today, gone tomorrow? Look around, ask some dot-bomb people if that's true. And not do it for family. Not do it for the resource called your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your brothers and sisters. The title of our series is God Loving Family. And I want to just kind of highlight some things from this image and this title that will kind of carry through thematically. And there's some spots for you to jot some notes down if you'd like. The, the loving in this word, God-loving family, is loving that works vertically in two different directions, from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. So there's kind of a double ring to this, uh, this title. The idea is that we want to grow in what it looks like to be a God-loving family. You've heard of a, of a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing family. We want to be a God-loving family. We want to grow up in that. We want to figure out how to do that better. But the flip side of that and the primary reality that I want to really focus on this morning is that God loves your family. God loves your family. First uh, John, if you're there, follow along with me. Chapter 4, verse 19, contains the central truth, so central that it's on the title slide. It's going to be seen on this image every time we look at it. And it says this, we love, First John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Don't skip over that because you've heard that a thousand times. Think about this for your family. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In every sense of the word, church, God has shown us how to love. He models love in Christ. He teaches and defines the parameters and freedoms that we have to love in the Bible. And he enables us to love by his indwelling Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. He models love by Christ, right? You want to know how to love? Look at how Christ interacts with people. He teaches us very explicitly how to love, how to do family in the scriptures. And he empowers us to love in God's way by giving us his Holy Spirit. We can only love God's way because God first loved us. None of us sought God. God sought us. Look at the red hearts in the picture or on the front of your bulletin for a moment. Those red hearts are tied into the, the little verse at the bottom that's also red. 
We love because He first loved us. All those connectors between your family tree, the reason you're connected, the way you can love, the way you can love, is because He first loved us. When, and notice I said when and not if, when isolation creeps into your marriage, isolation is the great enemy of oneness in marriage. When isolation creeps into your marriage, you can go on because God loves you. You can continue and take the next step in love toward your spouse because God first loved you. He showed you how to do it. He teaches and speaks to you and coaches you how to do it. And he enables you from within. He indwells you with his Holy Spirit. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can waken dead love in a marriage. Dead oneness, dead connection in a marriage. Secondly, I want you to look closely at the tree for a moment. Think about an orchard and the variety of trees that might be in an orchard. That's a little bit what families look like today, right? Maybe you could go back to yesteryear and families were kind of typical. Not so much anymore. There's a lot of variety in this, in this family. Uh, families coming in all shapes and sizes. I, I think about the variety that is in here. Uh, some of you have no kids. Some of you look like you went to Costco and bought the bulk pack of kids, right? Some of you have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. You know who you are, right? You are kind of the stereotypical American family. Your families in this room are labeled intact, blended, and broken. Many in the church would say, I've got a few more labels that are far more accurate. Restored, forgiven, and mended. Some of you in this room are pregnant. Some of you in this room are infertile. Some in this church are building their families through foster care and adoption. There are empty nesters. There are those just gathering to start building the nest. And there are some of you who have no clue what nests are about or the subject of birds or bees. You don't know any about any of that, right? So we have a lot of variety in this room. Of utmost importance to our society right now, but I think for a long time it's been there, it's just coming to the forefront, is this. Are all families created equal? We have a growing consensus of people in the world that are calling any and all combinations of family good and to be celebrated. America is in the middle of what I would call a devastating social experiment right now. By shape-shifting two fundamental building blocks of society, sexuality and family, Confusion is replacing common sense. And if you pay half attention to the news, you see this every single day in the news. In the upcoming presidential candidacy, you will hear a lot about these issues. It ranks somewhere between four and five and sometimes three in the polls of most important issues in this upcoming election. Confusion is replacing common sense. Just think about the near future, about public bathrooms and sports and clothing departments. In the name of love and fairness and open-mindedness and tolerance, many people, even Christians, ask this question. Who am I to judge? Have you heard this? Who am I to judge? And so they are accepting what used to be called alternative lifestyles without question. Let me give you some unequivocal Biblical teaching on the matter. Here it is. The clear teaching of Scripture is this. We aren't the judge. 
Can I get an amen on that, church? We aren't the judge. We didn't invent marriage. We didn't invent the family. We didn't dream up sexuality. God did. Therefore, as Christians, we have one role. Find out what God says about it and adjust to that. Not what's popular. Not what feels most comfortable. Not what, was, what, what will be least confrontational at the office or in our families. Whatever God says, He's the judge on it. He dreamt it up. We need to walk in His path. Marriage and sexuality are gifts from God. James chapter 1.17 says this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let me be really straight and clear about this. One man plus one woman for all of time is a great thing. That's called marriage as defined by God. You don't need to feel ashamed. You don't need to feel put down that that is a good thing. Being created in the image of God, male and female, is a great thing. Don't shy away from this gift that God has given to us. Those are good things, and you won't hear that in many other sectors right now. Family is a gift from God. He designed it. He provides for it. He disciplines it. He restores them when they break. And He enables us to keep walking the path He's called us to. God loves your family more than you do. Parents, I hope you pray for your kids often. I hope they are rarely gone from your mind for a few moments. Hasn't God just put that in us? We can't help but think of them. And then to pause and think, God loves my kids far more than I do. There's not a selfish ounce in his being. He loves them. So we will look to him for our freedoms and our boundaries. We will lean on him to enable the growth and health of our family. I want you to look at something else. Look at that tree for a moment. How do you grow a tree? Think about it for a moment. You plant a seed... You water it, you tend to it, you can protect that seed from getting tripped over or a football thrown on it or whatever else, and then you can study up on it, figure out how to tend to it a little bit better, and then what do you do? You you sit back and you marvel at something called life, right? How utterly dependent are you on the co-author of that life? It's pretty vital that God does what God does with trees. Now, think about your family. How do you grow a family? Pretty similar ways. There's kind of a seed involved. There's, you know, there's, there's sort of the same elements if you think about it. And then you sit back and you marvel. Now, even if you deny the existence of the co-author, you, you still are only part of the equation. And frankly, kind of a small part of the equation. God designed life. God enables the growth of human beings and cell division and all the stuff we can study about it and and wonder at and marvel at. We can name it. We can kind of observe things. We don't have the foggiest clue of how to even replicate it in a small detail. I understand 
that for many of you in this room, the metaphor of family is going to be, and the reality of your family is going to be one that's hard to redeem. That you had an awful experience and that, and that it's difficult for you to get your head around things like a good father uh, that, that God reveals himself as. And I want to just say to, to, to you this. If you're sitting here thinking this morning, Dave, you don't know my family, though. And here's the reality. You're right. Some of you, I, I don't know your family. I've talked to enough of you. I know a lot of your families. And frankly, you come from some pretty hard places, And some of you. I don't know your family, but I can promise you, I can find you a family that's way harder to love than your family. And you want to know the kicker? It's right here. It's in the Bible. There are families way harder than your family to love that God used for his glory and the people's good in the Bible. So the junk and stuff that are running through your head that you think, how could anyone get over this? It's happened before in the Bible. It's not to minimize your family experience. I don't want to do that. I just want to say God's put that there in the scriptures to say he's, he's bigger than that. He's bigger than where you came from. That's part of the hope that we cling to. Marriage and family are central to what God is doing in the world. I want to have you look at something else. Look closely at the paper uh, that, that this, that this uh, picture is on. You can see it in your bulletin maybe a little bit better. Do you see that it's crinkled? Why do I have crinkled paper? I have crinkled paper for this one simple reminder as we look at this title slide week after week. Hear me. There are no perfect families. It's crinkled because there are no perfect families. We tend to idealize and idolize people and families and institutions. I think we do this because we hope someone is getting it right. We hope that someone's getting it right. Let me tell you who's at the common head of this. Pastors often get put on a pedestal. You get to hear me in a well-crafted sermon once a week, and we're small enough that you get to see me live my life. And some of you are going to go camping with me in a couple weeks. So, so I can't quite hide in the ivory tower, maybe like some. But I'm afraid of heights when it comes to pedestals. You ever put me up on a pedestal, I, I have a little hammer in my hand. I'm going to knock that thing out. I'm going to jump off as quick as possible. I know Ben. Ben's the same way. Our elders are the same way. There are no perfect families that exist. Here's a question. Was the, was the Cosby family real? The Huxtables? Was it real or not? It was fake, right? Didn't we want it to be real? Didn't we want things to wrap up in 22 minutes of a sitcom? Didn't we want to respond with humor and class and just the right words at just the right time uh, and, and have it all wrap up neat? We want that. We long for that. It's not real. Let me give you one quick tension that the scriptures provide. There's a tension in church leadership. Do you know that church leaders, elders of the church, are called to be men of integrity? They're called to and commanded to be models and demonstrate the fruit of what a Christian household should look like. Scriptures make a really clear comparison. They say if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, why should he be entrusted with God's household? God's household is the church. That means that the the elders of this church are to be looked at through the qualifications of Scripture. I want you to know that that's how we bring elders on. That's how we evaluate one another. Here's the tension of that. 
It's easy to start looking through rose-colored glasses, though, at elders. It's easy to nudge your spouse and say, why can't you be more like Kel? Why can't you carry yourself more like Jenny? Why can't you be more like this family or that family? And so the tension is there ought to be fruit. There ought to be uh, people who can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But please remember, pedestals damage your own self and the person who's there. There are no perfect families. I take great comfort in the fact that God is fathering a very imperfect family. God is fathering rebellious, wayward children. God is fathering people who are apathetic to his pursuits of love. Don't you find comfort in that, families? That's God we're talking about. So we're in that same boat. Secondly, under, uh, under this crinkled paper is, is just a reminder of, of do-overs. We have a lot of do-overs in our home. In fact, we explicitly say to our little ones, do you want to try that again? Let's, let's, let's work on that again. Let's do it a different way. And it's just a great little tool to just, to just say, I get that you responded in anger. Guess what? Dad needs do-overs, right? Dad calls a do-over periodically and says, can I just start over on that? That was wrong. You know what's interesting about family? Uh, if you're, if you're on a paper, you used to write reports, now you type them and stuff. I guess you just hit delete or, or erase it. But let's say you were writing because you're old school. You crinkle it up and you throw it away, right? And you start over with a fresh piece of paper. You can't do it with your family. So when you crinkle it up and you're just like, ah, and you throw it in the garbage can, guess what? You can go kind of pretend and kind of ignore that you have family. A lot of people try to do that. A lot of people in New York City and San Francisco, they've left middle America and said, I don't have a family, right? But guess what? That paper is still there. When you crinkle it up, you get so mad. So what do you do with a paper if you only have one piece of paper? You flatten that puppy out as best as you can, right? You find the heaviest books, and you smooth it out. You try to get that thing, and now is your art picture perfect? No. But that's our families, right? Our families have little tears in it. Our, our families have coffee spilled on it and Fruit Loops, and, 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 it, and it's re-flattened and re-flattened and torn and taped, kind of fraying at the edges. Those are, those are our families. There's a very real choice for every Christian here today, and it's this, grace over guilt. Choose grace over guilt. As you get exposed by things from God's word in the next four weeks, here's my challenge to you. You can say yes to forgiveness for all that spilled milk that's gone on under your watch as a child responding to parents, as a parent parenting, and as a spouse. You can say no to crying and pining for those things that cannot be changed. That's part of what grace does. It doesn't, ch- doesn't change our past, but it redeems our past. We learn from it. We grow from it. We say never again. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And we can say yes to courageously stepping in the direction that God is calling us to. All right, so just how important is all this family stuff? Let me have you set a time machine for a moment and go way back. Go, go a long ways back to your childhood, okay? If you're in the womb or in diapers, you've gone too far. Kind of nudge it up a little bit. Let's pick around like 8 to 10 years old. What's going on at 8 to 10 in your life? Who's caring for you? Think about it. Who's present in your life? How are they doing caring for you? Are your days filled with trauma or delight? What's that season of life like? Here's the point of taking you back to that memory. All of you, whether it's a great memory or a terrible memory, at 8 to 10, you're starting to have a sense, this is really, really good. 
You've got friends now that, that have it a lot worse than you, and you're seeing, you're really thankful that mom and dad are around and don't fight a lot, and, and you get to just be a kid. Some of you in this memory, it's a very hard place, and you're struggling to hold it together maybe right now. You know what's happening at 8 to 10? You're starting to realize this stinks. This is broken. Things should be different. Why can't I be in a home like my friend's home? Why do my parents never do loving things in front of me the way that happens when I go do a sleepover and I get to see what a family meal looks like? Do you know who put that sense of family in you? God. God put in all of us a sense of what should be and what can be. All of our stories are imperfect. We already covered that. But that sense of what family should be is there from God. From day one, you and I are made for connection. We're made to be in a family. And we, when we don't get it, we know it. There's amazing research actually out that shows your cells are hardwired for connection. And when you're not in a family, things start to go haywire. Things start to break down. God revealed himself in family terms. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Think about this. God exists right now and for all of eternity in perfect relational harmony. God didn't need a family. He wanted one. Ephesians 1.5 says this, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. In your notes, circle that. It gave God great pleasure to have a family. God loves family. While every person is created by God, not every person is in God's family. Jesus talked about it this way. You must be born again. Right? Remember that? The emphasis in Scripture over and over and over and over again is this. It's not on something you must do to get into God's family. It's something that God has done. God has adopted you. If you see that and you've responded that, all you're left to do is give praise to God so no one can boast not something you did. You didn't seek God out. God sought you out. Romans puts it this way. I've put it in your notes. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, as opposed to previously when we were created beings but not in God's family, we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. It all starts here, friends. You loving your family, you loving your spouse, the way you're to do that is to understand who God is. It's to understand how you relate to God and who you are in relation to God. Remember in January when the title of adopted went from being a bad name to a glorious treasure? If you're adopted, that means you're wanted. That means you're chosen. I grew up in a, in a neighborhood that said, ah, you're adopted, as if it was some bad thing. I've come to understand that my most cherished possession that I have, the highest compliment you can give me on this earth, is I am in God's family. 
I've been adopted by God. You can't take that away from me in no circumstance, my health, uh, my family, uh, my job, none of that. Nothing can take that away from me. 1 Peter 1.3, also in your notes, says this, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Doesn't this inform our parenting and our being married, friends? If you get this truth, if you understand this reality, it is more telling on how you will parent and how you will be a spouse than anything else. I know some of you don't believe me. Some of you with your eyes are like, give me something practical, Dave. I need help in my marriage. You don't know who I'm trying to communicate with. My kids are doing X, Y, Z. My parents are doing this. Help! We're going to get to some really practical, tangible. The Bible has given us handles to, to grab onto. They will change your life if, if, if you apply them and walk in them. But there's a danger in trying to grab onto the handles, the techniques, the methods, without building on this foundation that God is a good father and that you are the beloved child. That alone will revolutionize your marriage. That truth alone, to keep coming back to that, will revolutionize how you parent. Let me invite Matt and Ruth up just now. Songs are really powerful in my life and in yours. And they have a way of communicating some truth and bringing us back to truth time and again. And this song kind of lodged in, in me recently. I kind of desire it for it to be sort of a soundtrack for, for this series. So we're going to teach it to you right now, and hopefully it will minister to you. Something really that strikes a deep chord in me to sing back to God the attribute of being a good, good wouldn't it change your marriage if you lived life from a place of being the beloved son or daughter? Aren't we as Christians supposed to grow in the image of Christ? Isn't Christ being formed in us? And wasn't Jesus beloved son? In case you missed it, in case we missed it while he walked the earth, God decided to make it very plain at his baptism. Remember what God the Father said at Jesus' baptism? What was it? This is what? My beloved son. What? With whom I am well pleased. Friends, to parent out of parenting techniques and memorizing principles and being on your best game is not where it's at. To parent from a place of being parented by a good, good father. And to let him wash over you time and again. I'm pleased with you. You're never alone in this. That's the best starting place I could think of. As we move into learning some practical things about parenting. What if God is providing for your family, loving your family, by every day giving you fresh new mercies to come back to this truth? And remember it? And walk in it? I think you would be so free. Jesus came to set the captives free. Here's some of the traps that marriages and parents get into. The performance trap, the perfection trap, the rejection trap, the comparison trap, the family tree trap, like this is where I came from. 
or I miss the boat trap, as in it's too late for me. Jesus came to set you free from those things. I want you to look back at the passage we're in, and I want to just close with looking at the first part of 1 John 4, going up to verse 16. It says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I think that's so critical. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you know believe the love God has for you? I'll give you one more passage. It's on the screen. Listen to the importance of family and put on your family lens as you look at this passage afresh from Ephesians 3. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Catch this, that you being rooted and grounded in love. There it is, the beloved child. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now think about this for your family, friends. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is work at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God loves your family. You may have heard this adage Where God guides, God provides. Guess what? If you're married, God's providing for you in that journey. If you're a parent, God knew the kid you would have. He's equipping you today for that journey. Trust him in that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your love for us. I pray, God, that even as we sing now, that you would solidify the truths that you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.